my name's Andrew Skipper. I'm head of the Africa practice at Hogan Lovells, and I've got wide-ranging African experience from business to art and culture. I'm co-vice chair of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art, and I'm also co-chair of the UK government's Africa Investors Group. This is the fourth series of the A Perspective podcast, which I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors alongside key cultural influences. People who are deeply concerned and committed to building the continent and spreading the word and its vision. They've certainly been pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting and delivering on enormous opportunities. So today we turn to Jeffrey White. Jeffrey's a well-known commentator on African affairs and CEO for Africa of the logistics company Agility, a $5.5 billion revenue company with 26,000 employees and a leading global logistics provider. Agility's Africa strategy is to fund and develop an integrated network of international standard warehouse parks across Africa, and they're well on their way to delivering that, as we shall hear. As we move through to the post-COVID world with the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement in place, the work of business leaders like Jeffrey will underpin progress and define success. So we're very lucky, and I'm very lucky to have him with us today all the way from Devon, I believe. So welcome, Jeffrey, to um, a nice wet day in the UK. I've said a little bit about the bare statistics of what Agility are doing, but but it, Agility is making really significant investment into Africa. So just give us a, a bit more meat and bones around what, what's the strategy behind your investments and why why Africa in the first place? Okay, so I think um, two aspects of that. One is why did we decide to have a, a major strategy for Africa, which we launched in 2016. And I think um, yeah. that's really on the macro concepts of Africa as an emerging market. Agility likes investing in emerging markets. We think there's, there's yeah. good growth opportunities there. And Africa, the demographics, the urbanization, um, the booming middle class, um, the Africa continental free trade zone, the fact that Africa will have a larger workforce um, than India and China combined by 2050 are all macro statements that really mean that we believe not just agility is investing in Africa, but that our customers globally and multinationals and SMEs across the continent are going are gonna to have a very successful um, sort of next two decades as Africa develops and moves into more of a middle-class type market. So, I mean, that's really, really fascinating and a very positive statement about Africa, which I'm hearing from a number of other people, notwithstanding the COVID. But in your own business, how have you managed during COVID? And are you still convinced by the Africa story? And so what have you, what steps have you taken during this period to, to secure success? Right. So our strategies seems very simple on one level. We are building and developing a network mm. of yeah. international standard warehouses across the continent. So we, we plan to develop a warehouse park. So that's a, a number of warehouses available, lots of customers um, in all the major cities across the continent. And the logic behind that is we think that there's going to be wow. growing demand for international standard warehousing across the continent. We, um, we believe that people, customers are looking for international standards. And what we do is we build the platform and we invest the capital in making it available. So for a, a multinational coming into Africa, the ease of entering the market becomes much simpler because they can come and rent one of our warehouses and our warehouses are already built. We're not a 
uh, a real estate speculator who's buying land and then looking for customers. We commit the capital, we build the infrastructure, and then um, customers can come. A good example of that will be one of our customers in Ghana who had a plan to go into the Ghanaian market, which they weren't yeah. in. Their plan was we're going to invest $8 million buying a piece of land with all the risk associated with that in Africa. Then they were going to build themselves their, their production facility, and they thought it would take them $8 million and three years, and then they would be operational in the Ghana market. They were able to come and visit one of our warehouse parks, see a warehouse that is exactly the same as the warehouses they operate all around the world, and say, no, this is a quick track solution for us. So they leased the warehouse from us, signed the lease, we give you the keys, you can move in Monday. So it's not, it's a not long process. So instead of $8 million and three years to get into the Ghanaian market, using our infrastructure and our platform, they were able to actually spend a million dollars setting up their business and we're, all, and we're selling product in three months rather than three years. So what we think is there's a huge potential demand out there from multinationals who are looking at Africa. And they're looking at Africa because their traditional markets are slowing down. Um, the populations are aging in the developed world. Africa has this huge momentum going from 1.3 billion to 2.5 billion people. It's got a very young consumer-driven um, age profile. And I would woe betide any CEO globally who isn't actually considering Africa as part of his future sort of next decade growth strategy. So our, our solution is very simple. There is lots of infrastructure that needs to be built in Africa. But what we're doing is we're doing one little part of the solution, which is building international standard warehouses where you're safe and secure to operate from. It's a familiar environment that you understand. We've taken all the land acquisition and the, the, the hassle of dealing in Africa out of the process. The power stays on. The IT is fast. And basically, and, and Andrew, you understand this because you spend enough time in Africa, businesses are able to get on and do business five days a week rather than spending three days a week trying to fix the fence or the security issue or the power or whatever. So it's really all we're doing is creating this enabling environment and then rolling it out in a network across the continent. And I know that you're basically self-equity funding, but you know, all around your warehouses, there are there's infrastructure which needs to be built. And as you say, others are kind of have to do that. Um, do you, where do you see the role of government and the public sector, both in terms of what you're doing, if not paying paying cash to help you, but to facilitate business? Um, and how do you see the public sector and government actually having to deliver on the, the other aspects of what it takes to, to deliver a, an infrastructure fit for purpose for the sort of warehouses you're building? So I, th I think um, one of the, the strengths we hopefully have is that we, um, we're private sector funded. So we're not asking the government, other than the normal sort of incentives and et cetera, for, for investing in a country, we're not asking for government guarantees and, and such like. Um, so I think governments are going to find it challenging coming out of COVID, coming out of the pandemic. They've had to take on a lot of additional leverage. I think they already had quite a lot of leverage in a lot of African countries. Yeah. So I think the government's ability to support uh, public-private uh, investment is actually going to be sort of with one hand behind their back. They're going to have limited effects. So I think the governments need to put very clear and ease of doing business investment schemes together tax incentives together to attract foreign direct investment. 
But I actually think an awful lot of what needs to be done in Africa is going to have to be done by the private sector. And on that basis, we're, we're investing directly ourselves. Each project, when fully developed for us, will cost us about $100 million. Um, we've currently got, uh, we're open in Ghana. We've just yeah. opened in Abidjan. We're just doing an expand. We've already expanded Ghana. We're doing an expansion in Abidjan. We're just about to open in Maputo. Maputo's um, going to go into an expansion the second half of this year. Um, so there's clear demand there. Our customer profile is interestingly about 50% storage and distribution and traditional logistics, but actually 50% is, which I think is very aligned with what Africa needs, is local manufacturing, assembly, packaging, processing, and some sort of added value rather than just storing boxes. So our, our strategy and our concept is to create this yeah, that's, platform yeah. that enables these businesses to, to move forward easily. And the benefit to government on that is if it stimulates economic growth, it stimulates jobs and prosperity. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, where do you find, I mean, I think what you're, you, you're sounding like a, a spokesman for the Africa Union with, uh, with what you're saying and also the president of Ghana. Um, but a, a critical, people are calling the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement a sort of pivotal moment in terms of developing intra-Africa trade. Everything you've been talking about um, leads towards suggesting that that you know that that is going to happen. How do you see? Um, how do you see the difference? Is, is is this really going to make a difference? Is it really going to make a difference, Africa? And if so, how? And just a bit more on how agility can help on that, because I think you've already explained a little bit around value addition and trade. So a bit more about that. But Africa as a as a concept, good thing. So fantastic. The the, the concept is tremendous. But so is the concept of ECOWAS and yeah. the East Africa community and SADAC. None of them have really delivered on on their potential. The hope is that now we've got 54 uh, countries signed the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement and 36 have ratified it, that this time we will actually have a 1.3 billion person continental free trade um, in place that can actually operate. I think there is an awful lot of steps on the implementation and the execution that need to be done before it starts having a, a significant impact. But I think everybody I speak to uh, agrees that the, the potential impact and the potential transformation for Africa is absolutely huge. I know that they're working on the um, rules of origin just now and the sh schedule of tariffs. Those are due to be finished by, I think, the end of June this year. So there is progress, but the reality is there still isn't, I don't think, a clear um, timeline on when it will make a difference for me moving goods from Cote d'Ivoire to Nigeria, where currently we get stopped 26 times at checkpoints moving across West Africa. So if they can eliminate that, then the opportunity for growth and the opportunity for um, African prosperity is huge. If I look, if I look at my projects, we constantly speak to multinationals and SMEs who are constrained in their market because they find it difficult to cross borders. So a Ghanaian producer only produces in Ghana um, and does a little bit of export. If we can change the template with the free trade zone so that his market isn't just Ghana, but it's Togo and Nigeria and, and Cote d'Ivoire and, and Senegal and Burkina Faso and Mali, then suddenly that little manufacturer in Ghana can actually expand exponentially um, into the size of that market. 
we also, and that has impacts on two things. One is SMEs. And we, we have an SME program where they come into our, our warehouses on just three months deposit. Most companies, local companies wanting to rent warehouses in Africa, you have to mortgage your children and everything you have and give two years deposit to be able to get into the warehouse. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 we have a, a very simple rule. You pay three months deposit. Uh, we give you the keys and you can move in on, on the next week. So that is part of our growth. We think that probably 50% of our customer base is SMEs. So the continental free trade zone creates a huge opportunity for them. But also I have a number of, of major customers who have come to, to our projects looking to set up distribution um, and manufacturing centers within one of our parks um, for the wider region. And then having understood the markets and the difficulties of crossing the borders, etc., have actually said, well, we're better off just shipping out of Rotterdam, Dubai, and, and China. So the reality is, again, if you can get those borders and the flow of goods to work seamlessly and easily, like the continental free trade zone is the potential to do, you'll attract far more manufacturing. It's absolutely crazy that 90% plus of everything Africa consumes it imports. That should all be manufactured locally. And I think the continental free trade zone is a huge opportunity for that transformation to happen. Yeah, and I think, well, I, yeah, I, I think uh, the opportunity is clear. I think the challenge goes back to the, whether you call it the partnership or the role of the public sector in making sure that's facilitated and it happens. And I know that uh, a number of multilaterals are also putting their cash where the, the concept is as well in terms of trying to deliver that. And I think that... Um, Globally, the focus has been on the dependence on Chinese and Far Eastern manufacturing. So it logically flows from what you're saying that if Africa get this right, uh, and with the you know the old the old mantra that you shouldn't single source and dual sourcing is always a good idea, Africa ought to be able to take advantage of this uh, pandemic uh, right. with 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 all the other shifts you were talking about. Do you do, do you think that's likely to happen re- realistically? Yes. Yeah, so I think I. Listen, I think it's, it's interesting. The pandemic has had an impact that it's, um, expedited and fast-tracked trends that we thought were going to be sort of 10, 15 year trends. So there's been a, an explosion in Africa of e-commerce where people have, who had never bought anything online before, either B2B or B2C have moved to buying online. So there's, there's a huge requirement for e-commerce fulfillment centers. And, and as I think everybody's aware, you need four times the amount of warehousing in town, in cities to support e-commerce than you do the traditional model of build it in China and ship it over in a, in a container and sell it. So that's going to be a big driver of warehousing across the continent. We're also seeing an increasing interest in moving away from just-in-time uh, logistics to people who have been burnt during the, the pandemic. So more people are saying, actually, we need more capacity to store more more of our materials and things in country. And I think there's also, from a government perspective, there's a growing um, uh, requirement, demand, but there's a growing interest and support for actually increasing local local um, production. So again, if you, if you look at our, our sort of customer mix, 50% of, of our customers at our warehouses are actually packaging, processing, doing some sort of added value. And I think that sector is going to grow very quickly. So I think what's interesting is these sort of trends that we were very yes, clear it, were coming over the next decade have actually come in, in sort of 12 months. 
Yeah, so it's, it's acted as a bit of a, a catalyst, I guess. But also, it's, it's funny, those of us who have been around some time, the, the, the sort of things people are talking about, about, as I say, dual sourcing, about making sure you've got enough stuff to actually cope with these crises, as, which always used to be mantras of business sort of 20, 30 years ago, I think are now coming back a little bit um, uh, as, an, as a more efficient way of doing long-term business, I guess. I mean, who do you... So, on that basis, I mean, there's a positive message coming out from you. But who are the so who are the winners and losers? Do you think from COVID over the over the next few years? So I, th- I think um, uh, people that export to Africa um, or Africa imports from uh, are going to see more of a, a change towards Africa being self sufficient and looking after itself. I think that's that's driven by the continental free trade zone as it gets momentum on the ground will enable a whole. Um, new generation of manufacturing across the continent for the continent. So not, I, I think it's a while before Africa's logistics and Africa's uh, port fees and, and capabilities um, enable it to be hugely competitive from a global perspective. It still costs far more to land a container and export a container in and out of Lagos, out of Apapa, than it does out of most ports in the world. So that inhibits uh, Africa being globally competitive but you, you've got a 1.3 billion domestic market. And I think the, the, the growth is going to be in, in manufacturing locally and supporting business locally within Africa uh, on a regional and a pan-African basis as a first step. And then as those businesses get larger and, and sort of the economies of scale kick in, then Africa can start to become a, a, a global manufacturing hub. But to your point, I mean, China is is still the manufacturing hub of the world, and I don't see that changing in the next sort of decade. But I do see um, Chinese companies no, setting no, no. up manufacturing in Africa and actually beginning beginning to engage with that local process. Yeah, which makes makes a, a big difference I mean, over over a period of time, which is which is very interesting. Um, I mean, just on a slightly different note, it's uh, the year of art and culture, I think, for Africa, uh, for the African Union. And I know this is something which interests you. And so what what can we do in COVID to cheer ourselves up with a bit of art and culture from your point of view? Is there anything you, you've been seeing or looking at? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's I think there's a gap where there isn't a huge amount of global sort of understanding of of African art and African culture. So uh, the the sort of you come across little CNN and CNBC bits, uh, et cetera, et cetera, which are sort of snippets. But the reality is there is a, a massive, um, interesting and exciting culture across all of Africa, very different from country to country. And I think there's a huge opportunity for the world to understand that better and interact with it better. That's a really clear exposition of what you're doing right at the heart of the new the new Africa world as it might so so you know for the last year i mean we haven't met for i mean uh, you know obviously we haven't met for about a year and so what's what's kept you going during the pandemic so i listen it's interesting i think for managing and running your existing business is fine on zoom or teams or or zencast etc i mean the reality these platforms work um and it's, it's interesting i mean Prior to lockdown, I was fairly sort of vociferous. The face-to-face meetings are huge. But the reality is, for people you know, like you and I and, and, and my staff members, etc., yes. actually, yeah, Zoom yeah. And, and online 
interaction is, is fine. For developing new business in an emerging market, it's hugely important that you actually get there, meet people and, and, and shake their hands and look, look them in the real eye to eye and get to know them and get to understand them because that, that's just part of building confidence. And one of the challenges of, of doing business in Africa is the perceptions are perceived as incredibly high when in reality they're not, but they're not because you build relationships. And that's kind of difficult to do remotely. Absolutely. And I think that's a great way of uh, let's hope we get back as soon as we possibly can. But I think that's a, a great summary of, 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 of the position. So Jeffrey White of Agility, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. 